got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. And I am no longer Emily Yates. Who the folk am I? (laughs) Find out later in the episode as part of our fantastic conversation with Ed Hamill, a New York-based folk punk hero who goes by the musical alias of Hamill on Trial and whose dynamic performances are informed by politics, passion, intelligence, and the all-important sense of humor. His caustic wit and devil-may-care attitude have long been a favorite of anti-establishment icons Aesop Rock, Kimia Dawson, and Ani DeFranco. He's been described as Bill Hicks, Hunter S. Thompson, and Joe Strummer all rolled into one by Philadelphia Weekly and a one-man Tarantino flick, loud, vicious, luridly hilarious, gleefully and deeply offensive by The Village Voice. When I leave the stage regardless of how the audience reacts to what I do, all I care about is how I would react to what I do. And he's joining us on this episode. We're so excited. Before we get started, we really hope that you, if you have been enjoying what you've been hearing on this podcast, you'll take a second, you know, just a second, maybe two seconds tops, and drop us that, uh, you know, five-star rating on iTunes, subscribe to us, um, share us with a friend, any friend, uh, preferably a friend who would like us. And speaking of people who might possibly share our values, here is the song by Hamill on Trial called Values from his album, Songs for Parents Who Enjoy Drugs. My son, my son is more than one, he's more than two, he's less than three. He tries to talk to me about this, about that, about his coat, about his hat, about birds, about the weather, and he's putting words together, and he's forming little phrases, he's got little verbal phases, and he's challenging me, he's got his own personality, I tell him, Little boys gotta pick up their toys And what he then said exploded my head He said, Dad, let me get this straight The President of the United States From everything I heard Is arguably the most powerful position in the world You could've knocked me over with a feather Listen to him putting those words together That's pretty advanced noise All I want him to do is pick up his toys He said we're over in Iraq And there's no sign of turning back Now aren't these people dying? On both sides, pain and crying? Well, that's a lot for a child of three, but I answered him yes, honestly. And he said, Dad, am I out of my mind? But the weapons of mass destruction they did not find. I said, no, son, no. WMD was a no-show. And he said, Dad, they proved that Iraq had nothing to do with the 9-11 attack. I said, I can't argue with you, because everything that you say is true. And then from the mouth of the littlest of boys, he said, Dad, I ain't picking up my fucking toys. I said, fine, fuck it. Doesn't take a lot of brains to see in this new world chaos reigns. If it can't make sense no more, take off your diaper, take a shit on the floor. Values, values, values. I said, we're getting in a sweat. 
What do you say we study the alphabet? He said, Dad, we've been over this before, but let's go over it one time more. He said, Dad, you ain't no fool. Is there some kind of presidential school, some kind of test or exam to show that you're the qualified man? I mean, from everything I hear, let me see if I'm clear. People are voting him in because they want to socialize with him and a beer. That ain't no qualification for a man to be leading a nation. What if you saw a guy from the bar emerging? Would you say he'd make a fuck of a surgeon? He's a nice guy, although no education. I'm gonna let him do my wife's brain operation. Dad, I'm gonna hold off on class. You can stick the alphabet up your ass. Values, values, values. So we're down at the playground, running round safe and sound. The kids are on the slides and the swings falling down. But they're only three or two, and they fight over toys as little kids do. And when I tell my son he's got a share, when he comes up with this, all I can do is stare. He said, I'm an isolationist, Dad. That kid made me really fucking mad. I don't need him or NATO. God chose me. It's fate. Oh, values are tough to teach the child. When the president has gone completely wild, I put my kid in his room and I lock the door and I tell my wife I can't take it no more. Values, values, values. Now you should be correct. Yes, yes now indeed. We can yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yay. Hey, fantastic. All right, cool. We are recording audio only. Yes. Um, so I think as long as like you just leave your phone sitting where it is, then we shouldn't have any audio interruptions. The only time we notice weird shit is when people like get up and move around and drive distance while they're talking. Yeah. So that, the whole dancing thing is out now. <laughs> you know, I mean, only if you're holding your phone while you dance. Like, you can dance while your phone is, like, sitting there in one place, so that's fine. <laughs> I have a feed bag. I, I connected to a feed bag, but typically. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, as you do. As so you I have some, can, I, can I ask some questions? You can ask tons of questions. Yeah. this is Sarah. Sarah, Ed, Ed, Sarah. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Yeah. Good. My, my questions are... How, how many of these have we done prior? We have done 21. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and our podcast is old enough to drink. Weekly thing? Um, bi-weekly. Bi-weekly for now. Um, we'll probably end up scaling up to weekly at some point. But So almost a year you, you've been doing this. Almost, yeah. Yeah, jumping on in it. <laughs> and is there a theme? Folk music? <laughs> Well, it kind of folk music, kind of just what regular folks are up to and um, how people are like managing during the pandemic and just in general, like we're in the apocalypse, you know, whether people want to admit it or not. And so it's like we're kind of just talking about what regular people are, um, are, are doing and like how people are humaning, how people are folking along, you know. (laughs) <laughs> That's the focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, and um, so Sarah actually invited invited me about a year ago to um, put my political rants on a podcast, and yeah. that was what we decided. You know, we decided on what the folk because Mark Marin was already doing what the fuck, and we did not want to get sued. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And also I had a bunch of songs and I was like, oh, well, we can just like use my songs whenever we can't find other people's songs that are um, public domain or whatever, or right. guests with music. And yeah. uh, and so that was how it sort of became What the Folk. But we're um, not all of our guests have been musicians. Yeah. So really, uh, it's fun to whenever we get to have ones who are. Yeah. And I'm stoked you were able to be here. Yeah. And how do you two know each other? Um, Lions, kind of. Lions, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. But then I feel like we uh, became better friends almost after you left Lions, because we started talking online a lot more, and we became, like, mutual fans of the things that we would post on Facebook, so we sort we of... became mutually <laughs> angry at liberals together. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> together. At yeah. everybody, yeah. I think it got to where we were... Sarah, we were are you a musician as well? No, I am a um, I'm a writer and a librarian, so I'm an academic Ooh. librarian. So, so I've brought all the like uh, professors and things on the pod that we've had. So, yeah, nice. yeah, kind of. Nice. Sarah also is a music writer or was a music writer for yeah, years. Right. So she's got a lot yeah. of great musician uh, friends and like great music recommendations that she's turned me on to since we've been doing this. It's been awesome. Yeah. I'm just a geek and supporter of music in general. So, (laughs) yeah. Excellent. Do a lot of reading. Oh, yeah. So. (laughs) I like that this has turned into you interviewing us. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm reading Dune for the first time. I feel like I'm going to feel very accomplished after finishing Dune. That's what I'm reading right now. Frank Herbert. Yeah. It's cool. Calm what dip. Spice. Yep. (laughs) Fear is the mind killer. I I know. I I read all the big attic books, right? Yeah. (laughs) Totally. It's the naked bunch of space. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good description for it totally <laughs> i haven't gotten to it yet it's been on my list for a long time but maybe maybe i should i should bump it as up as a kid i had a brief brief flirtation with uh sci-fi and fantasy high school you know high school and hallucinogenics <laughs> yeah as one does and i think lynch did uh david lynch directed the first or he it was his only uh, miserable directing experience. He directed Dune, but considers it a failure because the studios were getting in there. Yeah, I can't picture David Lynch trying to do a. Ma- I love David Lynch, but yeah, that's actually one I haven't watched is his. I yeah, nor have I, but I will at some point. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, and I'm not a big fantasy guy, but mm-hmm. my son, uh, Detroit. We just subscribed to HBO Max, so we were. I was looking through the catalog, and all of those, and I've never seen any of those Hobbit, Middle Earth, J.R.R. Tolkien movies yeah, either. But I thought, <laughs> speaking of the pandemic, hey, this is actually good context for what you're talking about. I thought, well, that would be, you know, something to delve into. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. six of them, and they're lengthy, and yeah, you know, yeah, totally. 
And if you've ever read the books, I mean, it's, it's, oh, as a kid, either, I did. Yeah, I loved them as a child. Yeah. Yeah. And if you actually don't have a super clear memory of the books, you can enjoy the movies more because I think they touch on, on all the, most of the major plot points there, you know, but you don't realize what's missing if you haven't read, um, recently, you know, so yeah. you're just kind of like, oh, wow, this is exactly how I wanted Legolas to look <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Um, yeah, this yeah, is exactly yeah. how I wanted that orc battle to be portrayed with <laughs> lots of, you know, middle earthy blood and gore. It'll be delightful. Atta girl. <laughs> so uh, yeah how else are, how are you weathering the apocalypse how how is your uh how has your apocalypse been going you know th- when, because i tour the way that i tour when i'm not touring there's a lot of seclusion i guess uh mm-hmm. typically where where you know because i play everything from uh, you know, house concerts to libraries, to small bars, to bookstores, to, you know, if I'm opening for a larger act, theaters and, you know, uh, festivals. And so I, there's not a lot, with the exception of maybe going to movies with my son, who's a film major, and but always was into film. Uh, and he would tour with me a lot. You know, I mean, we'd probably have done 200,000 miles together. He started touring with me when he was seven, you know. Um, He's clearly a pro. I mean, the way he runs your merch table is it's. Yeah, I didn't. I wasn't going to where I live. Because now that he's gone to college, I might move. But where I live. um, Which is 20 miles north in Ossining, New York, uh, which is 20 miles north of the George Washington Bridge. It was really well suited for, because the schools here are great in Austin, and that's why I stayed here for him. His, his high school experience was diametrically uh, opposed to mine. I hated school. He loved it. And, and you know, he got a full scholarship initially to SU, and then now he goes to Pace Manhattan. But oh, yeah. he really embraced academics, you know, and Sarah is a librarian. The the only thing for me in this town, they got a great library actually, oh, uh, nice. with the exception of the lot in Sing Sing Prison. I mean, is the other thing, which oh, wow. I might see at some point too. You know, but uh, um, so but you could go to Philly. The point being, in terms of being located here, you can play Manhattan, you can play Philly, you can play Boston, you can play Baltimore, Washington. Mm-hmm. You really all local. I mean, for me, so I I could you know, get him out of school on a Thursday night, skip school for him Friday, play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and have him back school Monday morning, having played four gigs. So it was great to uh, be here. And then, then I would just stay secluded. Uh, so it's not, and then, and then I would have to paint because I sell the paintings as you talk about the merch table with him and I would have to restock. And so I wouldn't leave. And so what I, the only thing that, that I have found with, you know, obviously the gigs themselves I miss, but what I hadn't realized how much I loved was the pre and post show socializing. Like when I did the gig with you, Emily, we ended up at that party afterwards. Um, 
with a lot of people and you're shooting the breeze. Tom Kenny, the voice of SpongeBob was there at that party that night. And yeah, and, uh, <laughs> it was such um, a fun night. So, the, you know, that part of it is rich, spiritually, intellectually rich mm-hmm. and not doing that, you know, I, cause I have no friends in the, I had one friend in this town and he passed away mm-hmm. uh, during the pandemic. So, um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where it has affected me. You know, there's been a bunch of concerts that I've done. I mean, obviously, it affects you economically. You have to think, you know, whatever. But it but it's those interacting with people, the conversations, you know, because I would spend Mm -hmm. I'd stay at somebody on somebody's couch or floor, even if I had the option. I mean, I would prefer to shoot the breeze with somebody about as we're doing now about music or film or art or literature. But rather than stay at the Motel 6 in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I miss that, too. It, it's really not only just in, like, a casual social interaction sense, but just in a sense of, like, soaking up other people's perspectives on a regular basis and just having um, new ideas just being pushed into my face regularly rather yeah, than... Yeah marinating and i mean you have you though you've done a pretty solid amount of live streaming and i know like folks interact a lot with your streams which is awesome um yeah you found, that was, like any right. any comfort there a little bit <laughs> yeah it, it, that caught me off guard i could tell um i hadn't realized that you know, my fan base is small. I mean, really, they're probably worldwide, it's maybe 20,000. And, and I mean, comparatively speaking to people that I open for. And, um, you know, there was a community there. And I, and I didn't, it, it became brutally apparent to me the first time we did one. My son, again, hit monitored. Uh, yeah. He would have the laptop. He's very savvy. And um, would read the comments, and then they were talking to each other, and they had seen each other at shows, and and yeah, that was cool. And I could tell it was was sort of, um, you know, I don't flatter myself to think that I change everybody's life, but I do think that I'm kind of like a gas station attendant, you know, from <laughs> A to, and so you're from A to B, and when you know midway between A and B, you start to go the world sucks and people are creepy and whatever. And then Hamill comes and tells everybody to go fuck themselves. And then, you know, they go hooray. And they, I fill your tank and you're on to be, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I could tell, I could tell that, that that's what um, was happening in the comments that, that people were saw you at such and such a show and haven't seen you, you know, in a while. So yeah, it was cool. I mean, it's cool. You know, I, I, you know, it it what has happened prior to the pandemic with with the last administration i realized that i was naive um i i think and i'm almost embarrassed to say this but i i think i thought well if we're a nation of 350 million people maybe there are 750,000 that are stupid or mean or selfish or racist and what became brutally apparent is there's 73 million that are stupid, mean, racist, and and whatever. 
Not and that, that, <laughs> that will never, at my age, that, that, that cynicism or, you know, misanthropic, those misanthropic ideas, I don't mm-hmm. know that I'll ever be able to look at the glass in terms of humanity half full again. And, and that's so regardless of the, you know, then, then the, the pandemic happens. I mean, I already had a spiritual apocalypse prior, you know, uh, uh, and I don't know, you know, he's going to run again. He's going to get, I mean, we'll see him again as a president. I, that's my prediction. I, I, you know, people, Oh, he doesn't want to run. Are you crazy? He's a, he's a narcissist beyond, is there FCC regulations in case I slip? flying down the highway there and oh I no but know the f-bombs not real bombs that's our philosophy here <laughs> yeah right. you know anyway you know I'm, and i'm you know I, I have a sneaking suspicion ladies if you're parallel politically you know you feel the same way it's it's very difficult to embrace the concept of we're good underneath we're all good underneath but we <laughs> would no it's we're not actually as it turns out it turns out that there's some real real evil that lurks very genuinely you know i'm sorry mm-hmm. to bring i just I just stepped on everybody's buzz, I think. But. Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, we love that. I mean, and not we don't we love stepping about on people's buzz. Yeah, yeah, but we were literally just talking. We feel like these are like the useful conversations in life because yeah. um, pretending like anything is okay right now is just not helpful. And, um, you know, we don't want to stay in a bubble in any way. It's just it's not safe to try to stay in a bubble either. But we were talking about this because um, – you know, we do, we've been on a bit of a national buzz, or at least a lot of people, anybody who wasn't entirely paying attention until this past administration, and even people who were, you know, who were paying attention to everything that's been happening, even just since 9-11, as we were talking about, like, yeah. even if you've just been paying attention since 9-11, there's, um, you know, there's a lot that should be killing your buzz, and um, and if it's not doing that, then that means you're not paying close enough attention. And hopefully this past administration has um, helped show that. But you're, I think, spot on that we don't have we haven't seen the last of any of them. No. And they've very clearly have been making paving the way for him to be able to do whatever he wants in the future. It's unbelievable. It's un- it's so I thought John Gotti was Teflon, you know. It's funny because I I loathed Bush, Cheney, Kyle Rove, Rumsfeld, that administration, you know, really and and I have no regrets, but it totally fucked my career in this country. I mean, I, I was so vocal. Mm-hmm. about my disdain for them. But, it, you know, back to the community, you know, you'd play somewhere like outside of Atlanta and there'd only be 20 people in the audience, but they'd come up afterwards and say, thank God, I can't say this at work. And so you felt sort of righteous. You felt like, well, you know, again, I, I got them from A to B with my little gas, you know. And, yeah. um, but, but, and and then when, when, Obama came into office. I was exhausted. I mean, I, 
I mean, I was in London when when he took Ohio, so I knew he had it. I remember I called Ami, you know, DeFranco, and I we were pals, and I said he's got it. I said I, I was I was in a hotel room in London, and it made it. I knew that he had it, you know. And then after that, I had, you know, I was reading like six or seven papers a day, and I was just obsessed with it. It was really, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sober, so I, <laughs> I had nothing to buffer. <laughs> Yeah. You know, <laughs> a narcotic for God's sakes, you know, and, and then um, and then I was exhausted. And I and I'm not to say that I didn't pay attention. I was I was certainly cognizant because, you know, Obama was really uh, he was tough on all the whistleblowers. So I, you know, I was sort of mm-hmm. aware of all that, you know, mm-hmm. um, Snowden and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. Anybody who brought up the drones. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I, you know, that having been said, you know, actually, there's something I wanted to talk to you about, Emily, but that later in the yeah. conversation. But, you know, but you got to watch out for cancer culture. I mean, people have to be forgiven for things, you know, I mean. Well, uh, depending on the thing. Depending on the thing. But, but I mean, and, depend, and depending on what their, not just a thing, but what their genuine thing is afterwards, you know, what, what they, you know, people make mistakes. I mean, admittedly, you know, oh, I'm not yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer, we're not Jeffrey Dahmer. We're talking about, okay. Right. I, mm-hmm. right. We're not talking about, I mean, I, I think there's a, a lot of like un, unfortunate blurring that happens between like, Canceling somebody who's abusive is not the same as, you know, just sort of like, like acknowledging that someone is a dick. Like plenty of people are dicks and like I'm a dick plenty of times. I even wrote a song about it to keep myself accountable. (laughs) And, um, you know, like we all fuck up and, but it's, I think when we are using like cancel to refer equally to someone who just fucked up and someone who is like habitually an abusive um, person, then like that's where like we lose nuance. Canceling, canceling and accountability are like, when we're talking about cancel culture, I think that's a bullshit term. We're just talking about holding people accountable who have never been accountable before. And if right. someone is just a casually, let me, let me ask you a question because I'm going to say something. You know, like I don't. I, I want to be very cautious and pick my words well here. You know, I, I'm. I think skepticism is the best word. Where if somebody's in a uniform, a cop immediately comes to mind, mm-hmm. and then second, maybe if somebody in the military comes to mind, I'm. You know, I don't that whole, oh, I respect somebody that's in the service. I'm not one of those people. I'm I matter of fact, I my appreciate first that about you. <laughs> what is what is the motivation? What is their what was their motivation to get in the uniform? Right. What did they think? Why did they do this? You know, that's my first, you know, I've always been sort of you know, it's funny because I saw my son's education. You know, I'm trying to think of, you know, I, does he respect authority? I don't know. I remember, I remember, you know, my son and I get along great. He's my best friend, you know. He's such but, a great you know, kid. As a parent, 
Like I could never have taught my son guitar because he wouldn't really leave it. He didn't, he wouldn't take me that seriously. And I, I remember monitoring some of his classes when, when he was younger. And I was amazed at how he listened to the teacher. I was like, holy shit, he's rapped, you know, to the, how come he doesn't listen to me like that? And, and so, so, you know, does he question authority? Not, not as much as me. I always was, you know, if, if in, in high school, they gave me a book to read. I was like, this has got to be fucking stupid. I can't. I mean, in, in retrospect, I wish I had listened. I, you know, had listened to him. Of course, you know, you two ladies it would be the white male canon anyway. So who cares? But, I, you know, I so I remember anyway, the point being is when I first met you, Emily, I didn't know anything about you. You had been um, very highly recommended to me by the promoter. At the club, you guys would get along great, he said, and, you know, this and that. And and so I didn't know anything about you. So you if you remember, I sort of had a migraine that night. I never got into it with you. But I so that's I'm laying on the couch. My son was there, if you remember. You came up. You were getting your instruments ready. You were preparing to go on stage. And I asked you some questions. And and I don't remember, you know, what the question, but. I, I think I was asking your background and your history and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. And you said you would, were in the military. Now mm-hmm. I got, I gotta be honest with you. My, my first in my head, I'm thinking, what, why would she do that? <laughs> <clears throat> but you did. Yeah, I did. So, you know, then I, then I saw your act and I realized, well, obviously this woman's not, you know, She's hardly a fascist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that um, should be my tagline. Hardly a fascist. Hardly right. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll take 10%. So, <laughs> you know, but but the point being is, <clears throat> um, you know, I immediately thought differently about you, I guess. I mean, I, I really, I, you know, I, I feel embarrassed saying this i i don't know when somebody says oh i was a soldier my first thing is oh christ you know i mean i yeah. i scream at jeeps when i see them going down the street my son it's like <laughs> why would you have a paramilitary vehicle you're a housewife for fuck's sake you know <laughs> yeah so i, have a hard I mean i have but the, the same opinion is, so sometimes <laughs> i would see your posts about biden and yeah. i would think you know but there is nuance. And, and, you know, that's the one thing about the Republicans. They're so fucking stupid, but they don't argue with what you say. Oh, they're, they're smart enough to go. Well, if, you know, obviously this evangelical, he's a fucking idiot. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to let him rant because he's going to get Trump elected. And sure, shit, they do. We stand around and go, eh, you know, if it's not Bernie, blah, 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 blah. and then Trump gets elected. And it's like we don't learn. You know, everybody's everybody's cause is the most important, you know. And I just think, boy, we're never it, nothing's going to get it. And if you think humanity is going to like, well, let's step up and do the right thing. Ah, that'll never fucking happen. Sorry, you know, I, I got to have another cup of coffee. I'm going to the fridge to get a cup. Yeah, of have coffee. as much coffee as you as you need because we're. I mean, honestly, in our on this podcast, our opinion is that both sides are evil. <laughs> um, and really, it's it's um it's like watching you know sports teams that are owned by the same owner, uh, just play back and forth with each other because as we are have been observing. 
you know, they, they carry out very similar policies to one another when it all comes down to it. They just, um, they put on a big show of, of publicly disagreeing, but when the chips are down, you know, they pass policies that are friendly to each other. I mean, Biden. Well, that's pro- been, but I mean, uh, that's politics. You know, I, well, exactly. I love Bill. And that's I why we Bill don't Hicks. think of good guys or bad guys. We think of politicians and people. <laughs> that's nuanced. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's how that's we it it keeps it actually makes it a lot easier to think about when we don't have heroes or good guys or bad guys yeah. and we don't look up to politicians. It gives us but, but lots this is, of leeway this is, to see them would, as regular people. Right. But this is what I would say to that, you know, like I love Bill Hicks, mm-hmm. but he's got a shtick about, you know, Republicans and Democrats, and I think the puppet on the right is with Bubba. I think the puppet on the left. I, you know, no, Democrats are better people. They are. They are. I mean, you know, I, they, could, uh, do they, I could. I could push Syria? a little bit. Do they I could push Syria. Yeah. I mean, does it suck? Yes. But there, you know, AOC's over there giving you know five million dollars to Texas, and Ted Cruz is going to Cancun. I mean. Yeah, and let's look at though also the more let's look at the the less extreme situations though that we have here because yes, of course on the left and right ends of the spectrum that we have, which is not even a wide spectrum compared to the rest of the world. We have, you know, people it's varying um types of corruption. You know, we've got the it, with the the Democrats, it's concessions that get made so that they can stay in power. And with Republicans, it's just like, look, we're going to do um, this takeover as hostily and as quickly as possible. And then the Democrats are like, well, let's like chill with it a little bit. Let's like baby step this, you know, let's just do like surveillance programs and drones in other countries. I, my my and- joke from the stage during the <laughs> Bush administration was because he kept doing shit. We kept he'd be on TV eating a child heart and democrats would be going well he wouldn't eat too yeah right <laughs> and when yeah. it comes to targeted communities i'm sorry sarah I, I, oh, no. um, when it comes to uh targeted communities in this country which is pretty much anybody but like cisgendered hetero white straight white male um that was a little redundant but like yeah it's basically like both colors of administration fuck over those people in different ways um, like us people, you know, but not to it, the it, same extent. Yeah, I would say to the same extent. And it's just no, it's I interesting. Because I not, I, that's where we disagree. I, I, well, and, as a and, woman, and, as a woman, as a woman, I would say uh, that under Democrats, I have found that Democrats are so much more obnoxiously unwilling to listen to anybody talk about Democrats being problematic than um, Republicans or anybody are. But like Democrats, once they pick a hero, they will not hear a bad thing about that hero at all. And I say that as somebody who tried to call out an abusive partner to a bunch of liberal Democrats and they they like lockstepped around the patriarchy, like hardcore, and they cast me out and um, made it very clear that I was not allowed to say bad things about their heroes. And that's what I've experienced from the good guys. And those people are not like, they're not people without authority. There are doctors and lawyers and members of, you know, 
or like leaders of nonprofits and people with with authority and influence, and they would not accept truth being spoken to power. And so that's, but but they will wave their rainbow flags and they will say Black Lives Matter and they will hate the um, you know the previous administration with the best of them. But when it comes time to actually doing the right thing, nope, tie dye patriarchy all the way. It, well, I you know I can't obviously I believe you first of all a hundred percent and and unquestionably no sir and, and it's valid and it's extremely sensitive um you know I and I am you know a straight white male I mean you know have I sucked cock for drugs yes but other than mm-hmm. that that was a joke that was a joke um but hey. I ain't judging. I totally believe you because yeah. it's money. You know, they're it, everybody that I guess canceled you for lack of a better, you know, when, yeah. when you definitely needed it, uh, probably had money, you know, and that, so that's, that's exactly another, what it is. Yeah. And that's a whole other thing, but, but this is what I would say again, I'm going to still adhere in your specific case, no. And, and that is a, an isolated incident. And does it speak, you know, does it have roots and threads across the board? Yes. But I still maintain, in my experience, and I've been around for a while, that Democrats are better than Republicans. And, and you know, do as I, getting back to what I said earlier in the podcast yeah i do people suck yeah and do i did it has it been a rude awakening yeah and you know i was i was dating a woman she worked um, as a barista at the capitol building in um california and you know then the democrats were in power and she would say boy they're arrogant sons of bitches i i i you know i don't like the democrats any better than i like the republicans i have to yeah. adhere with their um uh, you know, they were very condescending towards her and, uh, mm. you know, and, and people are creeps. However, you know, at least on the face of it, they're trying to, you know, raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks. You know, people are running around, hey, you should, you know, you shouldn't have 15 bucks. No, you should be making, if you've been working longer and you got an education, you should be making 30. Don't be pissed off at the people that were, that are trying to make 15. Be pissed, pissed off at the people that are trying to, you know, stop you from making 30. And who are those people? But the, currently they're Republicans. Currently they are Republicans. They are, um, and they're not always Republicans. I mean, Democrats were in power for eight years and the minimum wage did not remotely go up proportionately. And I think this administration has said they're not going to fight for a 15 minimum wage. Which but still think, wouldn't even be enough. Yeah. So I think it is important sometimes to look at the tensions within the Democratic Party, which is a separate kind of conversation from the conversation we have about the Republican Party, where mm-hmm. they go lockstep in on whatever the craziest new bar they've set for themselves is. You know, apparently now it's Q and Trump. Who knows what four years will bring? It's going to be exciting to see. Um, But yeah, I think you can have those sort of comparative conversations and understand the limits of the system. And I think this is also quite a common point of tension that people, you know, that have more 
perspective that Emily and I have with, you know, the kind of perspective that you have, Ed. But I think that we can sort of acknowledge that point of tension and still kind of move forward in ways that, you know, are sort of productive conversationally and looking at where the sites of action are that maybe aren't limited to the two-party duopoly. So. With your music, I feel like you do a lot of, like, I feel like you point out a lot of the systemic shit, which is something like I really appreciated when I first, when I, especially when I saw you perform, I really appreciated like how um, your songs don't hold back any punches when it comes to like real talk, which is, you know, one of the, one of the major pieces of this pod is the real talk and like the ways that like we see these systemic issues kind of are carrying out throughout like your career has, you know, spanned several you know, different types of administrations. So, and you've, but songs yeah. that you wrote years Back ago remain relevant, right? <laughs> Back to Lincoln. That? Sorry, whoops, I made a bump. Back what? to Lincoln, when you're talking about <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Way back in the olden days. But like, I mean, it really like, you know, even just the last few administrations have been a big old mind fuck. But when you think about back to like, um, you know, I think I, when I joined the army, it was shortly after 9-11. And that was when my political sort of awakening and education began. But, you know, you've been putting out albums since um, administrations that I think have been historically just as evil. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious. So what do you th- what do you think as a songwriter who's been, you know, commenting on all these social issues for a lot of years now. I mean, what do you think has, um, what have you, what do you think the common themes have generally been? And like, how do you feel like ad- addressing them has, has been, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I, I know the stuff is political and, and despite the fact, similar to your music where I use, you know, humor a lot, uh, I guess it's, I think Robert Criscow called it, you know, if, if Randy Newman is too mild for you, here's your guy. You know, so, so it's, you know, it's tongue in, it's tongue in cheeky and, and it's, it's always had a little bit of cynicism, but a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that, that's what it is. But I, but I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really, want to be political i mean that that wasn't the goal i don't i don't ever write i mean the only person i'm really trying to please is me frankly i mean i my thing is with a performance if i came into the room completely unaware of you know hamlin trial the performer and i sat Mm -hmm. down would hamill be impressed by hamill and that (laughs) and that's when i when i leave the stage regardless of how the audience reacts to what I do, all I care about is how I would react to what I do. Mm-hmm. And because you know, there's been times where, like I did a tour with, uh, I won't mention his name, uh, you know, cause he was very nice to me, but he was kind of a frat boy. He was a white rapper and and uh, and sometimes I would find myself, you know, I, I didn't hold back 
too much, but it was during the Bush administration. And, you know, he was a good looking kid. And and uh, and he drew really. I mean, I, it was one of the first times, actually, that I had witnessed. Because when I started touring with Annie, I mean, she already I mean, the, that was 3000 seaters for we, we did the yeah. Universal Theater in in L.A. That was 11000 people that she was already very yeah. established when, when I started opening for this guy. It was like 300 people in the room. And then six months later, there was 900 people in the room. And then six months later, there was, I, I really watched somebody build. I had never really seen oh, it like wow. that oh. before. And, um, and it was a frat boy crowd. It was a real kind of, and, and I found myself, you know, and the money was good and the gigs were, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, doing a tour and coming back with uh-huh. 20 grand of cash. And so it was, you couldn't say no, but, or I couldn't say no at that point. And, and, <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to. You'd had to play the you play the lowest common denominator sometimes, and it it sucked. I really kind of I didn't like it, and it it was icky, you know. Mm-hmm. It was the whorish I've ever had to be in, mm-hmm. in retrospect, you know. But but you know, and and I I don't know. I didn't set out to be political. I didn't really want to be. You know, I liked the the music. I liked had a sound to it. You know, that's what I was looking for, like that sound that made me feel excited and young and, mm. and, and not I wasn't looking to be philosophical by any stretch of imagination <laughs> but when every time I would sit down to write I mean dang I would get so pissed off I mean by the time the first Bush administration came you know I was just like oh my god don't people see what this guy's mm-hmm. a Reagan you know yeah I hated it you know and I and so I wasn't I really wasn't writing back then but I Anyway, I don't know. I don't really know. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's not really thought about a lot. You know, I don't, I don't really, there's no, I don't think about the motivation. I don't think about, I just all of a sudden start writing and then, you know, and then what would I want to hear? And then, you know, don't be too didactic and, you know, did any of this make sense? Probably not. Yeah, no, totally. Um, that kind of dovetails into a question I wanted to ask you. And I know you've had a long and very interesting career, so I don't know how much of this you'd want in a nutshell, but I always am interested in sort of people's origin stories, where you've kind of found the passion for what you do. If you grew up in a musical household, maybe what the scene was like that no, you came up no. in in Syracuse, like whatever you want to unpack. It was, um, no. I mean, if anything, mm-hmm. you know, my parents were really good people. Uh, yeah. I grew up, you know, in retrospect and, and very entitled, comfortable. My father worked at carrier air conditioning. It was a white collar job. He had worked as he didn't go to college, but they were both uh, vicious <laughs> yeah. alcoholics. They really were. Oh, I mean, no. and so, so it was a, you know, emotionally stunted, but not, no. but as I say, wonderful people. And, 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 but I saw my father, you know, he'd come home from work at five twenty five every day and he died he didn't seem happy he was accomplished he you know for he was head of tool and design a carrier and, and they had the air conditioning for the war effort you know so all the all the it was, you know, i think that upstate new york was very blue collar and at that time it's kind of it's you know syracuse is like flint michigan now but yeah. i mean it, at that time uh it, they had all kinds of there was a gm up there there was a uh Bristol Labs was up there. Carrier air conditioning was up there. So, you know, it was, it was 
Everybody's good. Very similar to Detroit, you know. Speaking my of grandma Detroit, worked right? at Bristol, and my grandpa worked at Carrier, and my uncle oh, worked wow. at Carrier. Yeah, like I have a big family history. For anybody listening, who we—I don't know if we've mentioned it yet—that that we're from the same hometown. I didn't know you. Were from, I actually I didn't know you were from Syracuse. You didn't know I was from there. That's no. how I ended up. That's how I was also in Syracuse playing those shows. Like Charlie called me from uh, Funkin' Waffles to see about opening for you. She's like, are you going to be back for Thanksgiving this year? And I was like, oh, I think so. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure. And he was like, well, you should come and open these shows. And uh, and I had heard about you and I had checked out some of your music already. And I was like, oh, my God, I could open for somebody whose crowd won't be offended by me. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah, you made some um, fans, man. You made some fans, too. Yeah, I have, I met some super quality people. And then and then I got to also, you know, meet a lot of folks uh who because I didn't do music in Syracuse. Like I didn't learn to play music until after I had left. So I never right. really got into playing music around people in Syracuse or the scene. I didn't play any instruments um, growing up, but my aunt was um, who my aunt who passed away of COVID last year. She was um, a really, really uh, involved audio engineer and musician in Syracuse. Who was your uh, aunt? So Judy Marinas. Oh, I know Judy. Yeah. Marinas, the, the sports announcer what is, was your uncle. My grandfather. A grandfather. Wow. Very yeah. famous. Very famous, Joel. He sure was. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. He impressed <laughs> upon me the, the need for a large vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, family, lots of family history. What was that? Um, he impressed upon me the need for a large vocabulary. Really? That's funny. <laughs> Because he was a broadcaster, he announced all the games. And so he had to, like, have all of the ways to say all the sports right, right. things. So since yeah, I was not a, a tiny I've never child. Any, I'm not a sports guy, but I know one of his, his famous things was basketball. When the players yep. would come down, he came down with frost on his elbows because he had gone so high. That was a, That's a famous <laughs> Joel Marinas. <laughs> He's got famous things. I found this out like as an adult, it, weirdly, like my my mom and dad never really told me that much. But um, yeah, he since I was a kid, he was always like, you know, trying to build my vocabulary, quiz me. Do you know what this word means? And you know what this and, and I was like always he was always reading to me whenever we were around and to the extent that when I did eventually, when I was a kid, I used to go to the baseball games that he would broadcast in Syracuse and I would go to the games and sit in the press box and read a book. Did you go to high every, school? No, I was like a child at that point. I was like a the elementary age, like seven, eight, nine, ten. Where'd you go to elementary school? I was homeschooled. Until <laughs> you know when? Until, let's see, I went to, I went to, uh, elementary school in Liverpool when I was um, in third grade and then homeschooled until, oh God, let's not get into my whole education history. I jumped around. None of the schools wanted me. What's that? You grew up in Liverpool. Yeah. You know, well, you know where the, the, the mall is now, the big monstrosity mall. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up about a mile from there. So Got like. Um, Maddie Dale. Like town of Salina, 
that yep. area. But basically, yep. just like, to anybody area listening area. who knows, <laughs> who knows, um, but no, it really that's where I kind of grew up um, and went to a f- couple of different high schools, and then eventually was recruited out of Onondaga Community College. Yeah. For the Army. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. It, um, what was your major at OCC? Literature? Ooh, journalism? Gen ed. Uh, I wanted to be a journalist. And that was how I ended up in the Army, but I had not yet started any journalism education or else I would have figured out real quick that what the Army was teaching me was not journalism. <laughs> so what you do is more like journalism than what I was doing in the Army. And you, so, okay, let's, let's figure out, like, around the time I joined the Army, you were... Um, which album? Which album had you just put out in two thousand? What year? Two, two, two thousand. I joined the army right after nine eleven, so like winter of oh one. I went to basic training in in summer of oh two. So that would, my son was born in in uh, two thousand two. So that would be uh, either tough love or songs for parents that enjoy drugs. So I was on Ani's <laughs> label, Righteous Babe, and there was some. You know, political stuff. So that would have been Bush. Um, yeah. So those two, probably those two records, because there's references to my son. Values is because uh, because Bush Junior was talking mm-hmm. a lot about values. Yeah. So I had a song about um, my son was three, and I'm telling him to do stuff, and he's asking me questions you know what's this guy bush doing blah 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 blah. and then he's like hey fuck you i'm not gonna you know listen to what you have to say you know (laughs) so yeah where that's that's what was going on yeah that's where you were at that's so interesting because um i was about to go see ani for my first time and then i got surprised sent away to reform school Mm. and um and i often wonder if you know how old were you then I was 17. I had to, just turned 17. You went to Which reform school ne- when you were 17? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But I often wonder how, like, if I had wised up and realized that my parents were about to send me away and I had, like, evaded and instead, like, gone to see Ani, if I would have learned to play music instead of going into the military and learning to be a propagandist when I, you know, got out of... You know, I got I to gotta ask this question. I... I uh, but if it's but if it's too um, personal, whatever. How do you get along with your parents now? We don't talk. Um, but and it's it, it's interesting to me as I've been you know I've been unraveling a lot of a lot of things about that time, but just sort of seeing how the authoritarian regime mm-hmm. we've been under has kind of echoed and brought back a lot of like echoes of reform school I've gotten you know like if if the people who had been running my reform school had been allowed to run the country it would have looked a lot like the last administration mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so okay I want to know more about your pandemic songs because like I listened to I listened to some of them and I really enjoy them and I want to like I feel like a lot of us as performers, as artists throughout this whole shit, we've been losing our minds a little bit and we've been recording because we can't perform or, you know, just like 
we've been writing about the things we see around our house and the things in the government and all this stuff. But so I kind of just like want to tell me about your pandemic song process and how you've been staying sane as a performer. Um, when I, when my marriage broke up, I was married for 25 years and it broke up about eight years ago, nine years ago. And to keep myself, and I've been sober for, well, now 30-something years, since mm -hmm. 86, whatever. In fact, what's today? March 5th will be an, an of anniversary, whatever, from 86 to now is. Oh, wow. I don't pay that much attention to it. But anyway, to, to keep myself, you know, sort of occupied, it was a tough time. And I, I wrote a song every day for a year. It actually was about 400 days. And, I, and I'm not, and only, you know... And I, I think the muscles, your writing muscles are probably similar to any other muscles in your body. You know, you keep them sort of toned. And and um, so I kind of did the same thing with the pandemic. I There are certain variables that, I, you know, because initially I think, Emily, you would ask me, hey, you want to do a live stream? Uh, but the thing is now uh, I do painting and I sell the paintings and I actually... No one's more surprised than me about this, but they, it does pretty well. But, hmm. you know, so not touring, I wasn't, no money was coming in. And uh, so I do these live streams and people, God bless them, were, were uh, shockingly generous. And, but, you know, it, A, people were broke and B, it, you had diminishing returns. So, you know, I see some people doing live streams every week and I'm thinking, you know, only 10 or 12 people were showing up and, you know, so the first time I made X amount of dollars and then, you know, a month later I made half of that. And then a month later, so I was like, hey, I got to keep this to a minimum. And I had to have and I and I sort of exhausted my repertoire. Um, and I don't know how many tunes I got, but, you know, after two or three of them, I had played all my songs. So I was looking for hooks, you know, to to try to get people to come in. Oh, he's going to, you know, play all his songs on his head or whatever. But anyway. So uh, <laughs> I thought maybe I would I would write a song every day for two weeks, 14 songs and uh, whatever. And I and I started walking like three or four miles every night. And so, you know, it was easy. I mean, frankly, it was easy to, you know, get gaslighting was one and mm -hmm. um, just, you know, it was it, it, I don't know. It wasn't hard anyway. But bing, bing, write them out every day. Put plenty of time to do it, obviously. And um, and that was and that was it. We did the show. We did the pandemic show. However, what happened was um, uh, Robert Crisco, the the uh, critic, rock critic, had been the rock critic for Village Voice for years. He reached out and said, "Hey, I heard you did these pandemic songs. Could I see them?" I said, "Yeah, we got the live stream. I sent it over." He said, "You ought to release an EP. You know." Um, you can make a little dough. And at the time I was sitting pretty well financially. So I called, I'm on two labels. I'm on new West. I'm on this other, uh, label sauce Techs out of more boutique, -y, small label, okay. cool little punk rock label. Um, Jeff Smith, who was in the Hickoids. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but they were one of the first sort of cow punk bands. Awesome. Great. And he runs this label. And I called him and I said, Hey, you know, Chris Cow picked nine tunes from the 14 tunes that I had written and suggested putting out EP. 
I'm sitting pretty good financially. Uh, maybe we could donate this to charity. And he immediately said, yeah, let's do it. And he printed out the CDs. I did the artwork. Um, I just record again. I recorded them on my phone, uh, re-recorded them. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. The nine tunes, sent them over him. And then he donated to uh, a national food bank. Um, but with the th- initially, we did 300 for 10 bucks a piece, and they immediately sold out. And then the three grand, when you donate to the food bank, they it was 30,000. I never, I never been able to, you know, give to charity. I've always mm-hmm. been sort of been month to month, but we were able to give 30,000 meals to, uh, uh, people in need. Uh, so it felt good, you know, and, and, it, you know, the charity cause, I think made everybody, yeah, I want to get my CD and, you know, so, um, yeah, that, that was it. I mean, it, again, it was very organic. There was no, it's better. Whenever I think about stuff, it never works out. And when I just do it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I relate to that. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned a few times sort of addiction and that always really resonates with me because I had a really bad drinking problem. And I think as of this coming summer, I will be nine years without booze. So I was kind of, thank you. I was kind of interested in what, like, I have my perspective on what I kind of learned from that experience. And after getting through sort of the initial shame and processing the, you know, the numerous times I almost died, like thinking of the kind of gifts that experience gave me and how I can channel that into other things I do and humility and helping people. I don't know if you've had a similar experience or what your experience has been. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I quit uh, drinking six months after I got married, and but I had had you know I'm not going to lie I had, had a couple I had a couple deep WIs, so I'd like to say that I was smart enough and aware enough to do it all by myself, but I no I I got a couple DWIs and it ended up going to uh, AA and then I don't talk about it much. And because, you know, I don't, I don't, whatever. Everybody has their own thing. It's, it's not any badge of honor that I wear. It's just, but I wanted to, anyway, two things. I wanted to keep the marriage together and I wanted to make, it was, I wanted to make my life as an artist, as a musician. And I knew that would require traveling. And I knew that if I kept on drinking, I wouldn't keep my marriage together and I wouldn't um, uh, be able to, to tour like I toured and, and, you know, there was no way I was going to be able drunk coming up the stairs going, baby, I'm going to make it. That never would have worked. So, I mean, that's, and, and so I remember, you know, but I did go to meetings at the time and I remember there was somebody, Bob O was his name. And, uh, he told his story. I, and it, cause he was a biker looking guy in Syracuse, you know, and yeah. I thought when it gets to Bible, when he shares, he's going to tell everybody to go screw themselves, you know? Uh, and then Babo told the story and it was my story. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it, it, exactly what, cause I would quit for nine months and think I didn't have a problem, but I did it hard. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, same. Um, <laughs> same. I, and then, and so, and then I knew, I, I remember, I remember coming home saying to my wife, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. You know, it did, it, it ran very hot. My family, my, my yeah. family were, you know, so, uh, uh, and I just, stop I mean I just I mean everything because at the time I was doing 
I had a buddy that was a diabetic and he, so he had clean needles. So we were shooting uh-huh. cocaine and, and bourbon, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I, I, I just put it all on hold and I don't really, I It's really weird. I don't, a lot of people, you know, adhere to the program and they do the steps and I don't, I didn't whatever it takes by, you know, in the words of the great Malcolm X, by any means necessary. I mean, I don't tell anybody what to do. It just, I don't, I, I write songs, I guess, to keep yeah. myself occupied. Yeah, similarly, I didn't work through the steps, but I've, again, definitely respect whatever people need to do that works for them. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, you know, man, I love South Park, you know, but I have my problems with them. They, they did a thing on alcoholism one time. It was like, you know, because people have the higher power problem with the God mm-hmm. thing and yeah. they have the this, that, that, you know, it's like if it works for people, shut the fuck up. You know, if it works, yeah. if somebody, you know, has a tragic life and then they don't, what do you, what do you care what, you know, what the steps are? As long as they're not exploiting them and, you know, using them to harm people like they did at my reform school, which is my, that was my first experience with AA. I've definitely like learned to respect everyone's path to yeah, getting yeah. rid of whatever and they need to get rid of. Yeah. You know, this this sort of gets back to what we were talking about earlier with the Republicans and the Democrats. It's nuanced. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, they, you know, again, I don't mean to be a buzz stepper here, but you know, it requires us. I, I hate to say this, and it's going to sound elitist, and I don't want to, you know. I, I definitely get in the trenches with the proletariat, but there's some people there's some people that don't have the intellectual capacity to deal with nuance. No, they I don't agree with that. And, yeah. I completely agree. And and sorry, go ahead. And they're never sentence. gonna. And and where you know, like anything, and this again is nuance. You know, social media. I need Facebook. Mm-hmm. It promotes yeah. my show. Do I think that it has allowed really ignorant, repugnant people to think that their voice matters as much as educated people? Oh, <laughs> indeed it does. Yeah. And that's why you have, you know, an insurrection and the capital being whatever. And, you know, I don't know. They don't have a license for parenthood, for fuck's sake. You got to get a fishing license. And people are raising kids <laughs> without a license. I mean, it's insane. So, you know, do, do I think that some people should be licensed to get on Facebook? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I, that's well, not going to be a popular opinion. I mean, I think like, no, I, can, I mean, I can you're talking that. to somebody who thinks that like all boys should be given vasectomies until they can apply for parenthood. Yeah, but, yeah. And I should have said, like, I mean, I really feel like, the, you know, we could go in all these different directions. But like when it comes down to how we've gotten to where we are, I feel like there's a lot more juiciness in talking about like, why is it that we have such a hard time with nuance in this country? Because it's not like people grow up and they're like, fuck nuance. Wants. You think like it's people, this country or do you think it's humanity? Um, I mean, I think it's definitely like it's it's humanity in a sense. But like in this country, it's actually very, very intentionally engineered that people don't know there people aren't educated on um, any kind of political nuance or any kind of. You made, you made me think of something. There was, um, one time I went to say I used to love this man. 
the replacements in the eighties. Oh, and I went, to, I love that I went to see them in, in Boston and they played at the channel and there was about a thousand, it was, it was the channel's five year anniversary and it was just an amazing show, but they got called back for an encore and Westerberg came out and he said in the microphone, you're all a bunch of spoiled brats. And I remember at the time, I was like very taken aback. And now in retrospect, I really understand it. I really understand. We're all a bunch of spoiled fucking brats in this country. We are, yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, that's way cool you saw the replacements. I love the replacements. (laughs) It was an an amazing, amazing show. And amazing. I hung out with it. I had hitchhiked with my wife at the time she was my wife but we had hitchhiked there and saw their sound check and the drummer gave us you know ten dollars to get back home and and oh my God, that's <laughs> something cool. else but anyway but i but anyway <laughs> but the point being i do wonder like you know i go to other countries and there's people just as stupid i mean we you know globally people are adhering to authoritative fascist uh regimes uh, well, and it's because they those authoritative fascist regimes are very effective. You know, it's like they're very the, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, we've got all this connectivity and like the global elite are even more connected than the rest of us yokels. And, um, you know, it's not hard to socially engineer people, you know, once you have power and money, which we're seeing, you know, Every there are no wildernesses left, metaphorically or geographically. We've there's no like stone unturned except, when except for to, space. Like, and if you you notice the last administration, all of a sudden NASA was back up and running. You're right. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's so it's like we we are what we're witnessing is. Um, it's, I wouldn't even say it's a conspiracy. I would just say it's evil doing what evil does, which is continuously grasping for more power and continuously coming up with new and more innovative ways to deceive and manipulate people. And like what we have in this country is almost like the perfect conditions. It's like we have a perfect storm for what mm-hmm. like every mm-hmm. global authoritarian would love. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're seeing it play out here. It's very interesting and also terrifying, right? But, like, in a sense, the thing that terrifies me most is that most people in this country have been effectively conditioned to not see that. <laughs> and to think yeah, that yeah, there's yeah. some, like, secret conspiracy. I'm like, there's no secret conspiracy. Right. It's right, right, an right, obvious right. Yeah, takeover. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's Orwellian. I, I, I'm writing this. It's funny, too, because I just think, you know, I read something online today that, you know, although people don't think that Trump will run again, he is, you know, at CPAC saying that, you know, and I'm thinking, of course he's going to run again. And it, and, and it probably will win. I can't take it. I can't. I'm writing a song now. You know, you, you're in Portland protesting, getting shot in the ass. And I'm thinking, would I, would I, seriously? <laughs> Not recently, but like, when I yeah, called you that and one said, time. man, you got balls. God bless you. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm over there with my big mouth shooting the breeze, you know, on stage to the converted. I'm preaching to the choir, really. And, you know, but I'm not out there. I'm not fucking uh, uh, out there on the front lines. And I wrote a song, Stones. So like, would I have the stones to, 
I'm thinking about, you know, Harriet Tubman and I'm thinking about, you know, people that are incarcerated for fucking 10 years. God, you know, it's it's astonishing to me. I really I the courage I they, I'm just so humbled by the courage of some people to get it because I'm I'm just thinking I can't take it. I can't freaking if if I can't take another four potentially eight years of of this Stalin guy, really. I, I can't. I'm tired. I'm and it because emotionally it messes with you. You know, and, it uh, does like the the whole th- like the thing that I feel like I've been absorbing throughout like Black History Month, especially, but also through the, like this last year of you know this version, you know, this iteration of racial um, kill racially motivated killings and protests is that you know it's. A lot, a huge, the people who are the most affected by this shit in this country never get to rest. They like mm-hmm. don't ever get to stop yeah. engaging. Yeah. You know, like yeah. when you talk about Malcolm X, it's like he, he didn't have a choice to stop engaging in racial justice work because he had to walk around every day in the skin he was in. And I think a lot of the, what's happened in the last few years is that people who haven't had to worry about anything due to their physical demographic are now also finding themselves threatened and that's new. Whereas like, you know, it's been a, like the last administration was a symptom of like the deeper rooted problem, right? It was, we wouldn't have yes. had yeah. them yeah. if, if we hadn't had the com- the conditions completely right. perfect for them. So like, I feel you like it's exhausting and it's hard, but like a lot of people's courage comes from, <laughs> yeah. well, and a, a lot of people, and that's the thing, right? Like you're a white guy. So you haven't had like as much experience of being tired, you know, like you have, you're tired right. you're right. and that's legitimate. Right. Your tiredness is you're legitimate, right. but like you, like a lot of people in this country have been tired for so long, yeah. but it's, and it's not bravery. It's just survival. It's like when you go out into a war zone, you don't have the option to not be brave. You, you have to it's, do what you it's, have to do. It's, when you, my son said a great thing the other day. He, he's, you know, his, he and his friends, so Asening is primarily a Hispanic community. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that I'm in Westchester, you know, in Chappaqua is right over there and, and a lot of affluent other towns that surround Ossining. But Ossining itself, I have a sneaking suspicion it's primarily Hispanic and they are, are you know, the proletariat that works for like the Clintons are in Chappaqua, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so when, when he went to high school, he was a minority. Um, as I say, the schools are great here, but it was probably his high school, junior high, grade school, all of them were maybe 50 to 60% Hispanic, 20% African-American, 20% white, maybe 10% Asian at best. Um, so anyway, but, and so he, he comes from a very, you know, I, I'm reticent to use the word, but woke, uh, all his friends are, you know, liberal, 
his friends, particularly not that there wasn't a contingent of, you know, conservative, you know, generationally from the parents, conservative. He had some friends. God bless him. He's more, I'll, I got a callus on my finger from unfriending people. The minute I don't, I no, only because it's futile. They're not going to, I see, I have friends that are patients. They have the patience of Job and they pragmatically, you know, hi, Bob. I love golfing you with you and your wife. And I know you support Trump, but here's why you're wrong. And they're very patient and articulate and never does Bob ever go, you know, you're right. I'm going to change my vote. No, it's, right. it's futile. Yeah. So at this point, you know, if you're at this point, if five years ago, four, three years ago, if you are still a fan, you're gone. I don't, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to, I don't want you in my world. You know, I know Ed, you should, Hamill, you should talk to, no, I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> it's hard. It's ugly. It's so ugly. Yeah. The point I was going to make, it's just so much. So we're, I'm driving with my son and my, and my son says, you know, he got any, and, and cause he's usually very extremely optimistic in, in, you know, he looks at both sides. God bless him. He's liberal unquestionably and progressive unquestionably, but he looks at both sides more than I do. I get in a rage. I'd never be good in a debate team. Mm-hmm. And um, and he and uh, he said, he goes, this woke thing, he goes, it's tough. He goes, you know, when you're young and it's Christmas and and, uh, you know, you, and then you find out there's no Santa Claus or if there is a Santa Claus, he probably said the N word. <laughs> And I did. thought, yeah, you know, it's really, there's so much, you're just surrounded by ugliness and it's exhausting. Yeah. And, and, oh. that's, and we need a snappy okay. chorus right there. SpongeBob. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just throw in the snappy, there's ugliness everywhere chorus. Yeah. And, uh, balloons and congratulations on Facebook. Kazoos. Um, I would love to like just really quick say like the the thing about wokeness because like I've had to edu- get educated on on the idea and like the word and the understanding is that like when we're talking about being tired you know and we're talking about our perspective and like coming to like coming to these understandings that we are calling that we as white people have have called wokeness like in the in the um black community where that term originated the energy behind it is more of like waking up to your own oppression um and from the context of slavery of like waking up to realize that you're enslaved and so like white people in a sense can't be woke because we are not in like we're not in the oppressed position yeah. however to, and you know, I, I'm, but I'm, well no and I'm, I'm just i'm this is the nuance issue right because i've had to think a lot about this and and it's why i like don't refer to myself in that way and it's because like we have the option of going back to sleep to other people's oppression. Sure. Like we have, we're talking about waking up to other people's oppression. Thank freaking God, quite frankly. I, yeah, I hear you. You're right. You know uh, but, but I think, you know, I don't like to use the word wall because I kind of hate, you know, I don't use LOL either. I, I just mm-hmm. hate. Yeah. It's, it's You're just a trend bucker. <laughs> Every time I see LOL, I think, oh my God, grandma, you know, but I, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I don't like cliches despite the fact that i've used a million of them probably during this podcast but where the where the wakeness happens if we 
you know, do use it's is. Yeah. You, you are all of a sudden you look around and see, but you do, you can be aware, yeah. hopefully empathetic. And maybe if you got the guts, you're on the front lines getting shot in the ass. <laughs> We're fighting for against the oppression, despite the fact that it's not happening to you. Yeah. Just like you, once you, you know, you didn't set out to write political songs, right? But like once you start seeing, once you're observing, you can't help but write what you're observing. You can't help but, you know, live the truth that you're seeing. And like, you can't help but, but talk about the truth that you're living. And for me, you know, it, it has manifested as, you know, writing songs and like yelling at cops at demonstrations, like whether or not that has any effectiveness. It, I don't know. For you, it's, you know, it's manifested in like writing a shitload of brilliant songs and doing a ton of touring and you know, really energizing and fueling people's um, passion for, you know, sticking it to the bullshit and uh, and paying attention to, like, what what actually is happening beneath the surface. You know, like, we all are just kind of making sense of shit, right, <laughs> that we see. I mean, the, the thing, you know, the thing, right. I mean, before I before I get to, you know, there's a great I think they asked William Faulkner one time, you know, what were you thinking about when you wrote The Sound and the Fury? And he said, money, you know, thinking about (laughs) I need to to get paid, you know, and I mean, a lot and a lot of it really is that, you know, that like the painting thing, all of a sudden I have a career as a painter, you know, but I but it wasn't what happened was, you know, there was a period of time where you could like open for Ani, getting back to that and you'd sell a hundred CDs after your show at the merch table. Mm-hmm. And then literally in 2008 or nine, you sold three CDs at the merch table and you got to eat, you know, especially if you got yeah. a kid. I mean, they, and so, you know, I'd like to tell, well, I thought about, you know, I wanted to be like Francis Bacon, a great painter. No, <laughs> it was like, Oh shit, I got to eat. How am I going to make money on the door? You know? So a lot of this stuff, I mean, to paraphrase the clash, you know, uh, anger is very inspirational for me. And there's a, <laughs> deadlines are very inspirational. You know, so if you, if you say, yeah. really, if you say, if you say to me, well, I got to have something by Friday, if it's open-ended, I might not do it, you know, or, or let's do a video. Here's a million dollars. Ah, you know, I don't know. But then, you know, mm-hmm. here's a video. You got $25 to do a video. Well, I'll do a flip book. He's a genius. You know, it doesn't, it's money. It's really Whatever, you know, I, that isn't getting shot in the ass. And I, I talk a lot about your ass, you know, but, anyway. <laughs> you know, I was so humbled by that. I just, I just thought, because you were like, I think you might have showed a, a, a shot of a welt, you know, that was the size of a half of a basket. I didn't post it. I, I may have allowed you to see it. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh my God, like, I, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I, I don't, I mean. I want to believe that I could, but I, I don't know, you know, it really, I thought, wow, I have a lot of respect for it. Just an amazing amount of respect for that. You know, I'm just completely humbled by, and, and it's gotta be done. I mean, it has to be done. It had, you know, in light of look at the insurrection, people are going to have to take up arms. I mean, they really are. I hate, you know, Mm -hmm. I I could sit here like a hippie and uh, we all got to love one another. It's not going to fucking happen. 
I, my Kimya Dawson is a dear, dear friend of mine. I love her to death, you know, and, and she was skeptical, you know, as a, as a, as a black woman, she was afraid to go out toward anyway. And then that yeah. administration happened. Now you'll never get her out of the house. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it, she, she's terrified to go out, you know, and I can't blame her, but you know, but she, I love you. She, you know, I, I joke with her. We're pals, you know, I'm like, I don't know this loving thing. I mean, it's definitely, it's hard enough to like, like somebody, you know, just, I, I want to respect your, I'm trying my damnedest to respect your yeah. opinion. She has always, she, she's been one of my favorite songwriters since I first heard her songs. But the, when I first heard her songs, I was in Iraq. And the first song of hers that like really, really like, I had saw the movie Juno and all the songs were really cute, but the song that really, really stuck in my head and made me realize like how much you can accomplish with cuteness was her song loose lips. Um, because she got yeah, to yeah. this, the part where she's saying fuck Bush and fuck this war. And she says it in this like adorable little voice. And she just kind of like cutes it along. And all of a sudden I was just like, Oh my God, this is the antidote. You know, this is how, yeah, yeah. this is See, how you combat all of this bullshit. Right. But she's but she's not, you know. I mean, I mean, that I, I love her and respect her. She's a real good friend, you know. In light of, I mean, she was signed to Rough Trade and and uh, you know, it's kind kind of a couple of hipster labels. I mean, she's the you know total opposite of Katy Perry. You know, I I say to her all the time. Again, there's some balls. I you know, a lot of people. I don't know. Would think I don't know. They had it, but she was because we were talking about one time about Riot Girl thing. She was like, "Man, I had some problems with that." You know, I wasn't. I, she was living up in um, Portland, Sleater Kinney. Where are they from? But uh, and, like and, Olympia. And, you know, yeah, Olympia, right? So she, she went to college in Olympia. You know, and and so a lot of that uh, that Riot Girl stuff was happening at that time, and she did not fit that mold. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. She was more like polystyrene, although I, I never talked to her about polystyrene. I don't know if she was a fan. But anyway, regardless, I, I don't know. I thought, man, she's got a lot of balls. I mean, she, you know, she sounds cutesy, but she don't look cutesy, you know. And she, and she went right out there and, and, you know, again, she had a lot of guts, man, you know. I really respect it. And I've, like, it was seeing some of her songs and, and become kind of mainstream Right, right, right. You know, that it really made an impression on me. I was like, oh, my God, because it's really like she's just very real and very truthful. And when you're inundated with bullshit and superficiality and shiny, gold-plated, you know, assholes all the time, like just bare-faced, cute truth is like it's like a glass of water in the desert you know and that was literally where I was I was in Iraq in the desert and like this adorable voice comes into my ears saying fuck Bush and fuck this war and I was just like oh my god I feel so seen like you don't need to like shout back at the shouters you know and even though I'm I have a penchant for that like when I started writing songs her songs were the ones that were at the top of my mind as like, if I really want to say the things I want to say, Kimmy Dawson has shown me that if you say it cute, you can say like kind of whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have really, really appreciated her, 
her approach and um you know because there's so many ways to rage against mm-hmm. the machine yeah 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 and, yeah, I, appreci- I, I, just, and I appreciate yours as well i appreciate both of your approaches i think they're both super necessary <laughs> we've toured a lot together it really works I, and it's funny because um you know i opened for her because and um you know i'm kind of loud and she's very quiet and you know the sound person would always say to her do you mind that he's this loud? She goes, no, no, it works. And it does really work. Uh, you know? Yeah. But I, I never really thought about right to how she's down. She's funny because she was telling me she ended up doing a commercial for something. And the person said to her, Oh, it's nice to really meet you because I worked with a lot of people that try to sound like you. I mean, it became a thing like it, mm-hmm. the, the kind of the cutesy voice. And it's funny because I've done enough of these. Like, have you ever, have you ever done those folk Alliance things? I did like the regional ones out in the West coast in, in the Bay area. I have not done the um, international one yet. Though. So you know how they work. So you're, they. you're walking. They, do they take over a hotel? And, yeah. and yeah. You, you walk down the hall. Yep, and you have the, the little hotel rooms. Yeah, right, I hosted right. one of like the rooms. Yeah, I hosted one too in one of my music writing gigs. So. Right. So, so I had never i I had when I had because uh, I don't have a domestic agent anymore. I have an inter. I have one for Europe, but I don't have one here. But I did at the time, and it was good guy Fleming, and and uh, and I was and my summers were really. Um, it was before because my son and I started doing a father and son. Uh, cross-country tour in the summer and that became we over the years it, it's become very successful and lucrative but i had really empty uh summers and i remember going to my agent going you know hey june july august pretty quiet and i'm i'm not working what's going on he said well it's festival season and there's kids and there's grandmothers and you know i wouldn't ask you to censor your show and i was like no i can do you know a g-rated show people don't know politically where i'm at i gotta eat again back to money and he said well let's do some of these folk alliance things and um you know get you in front of promoters and and whatever and get you know you get some gigs from that okay so i i did a few of them and what became apparent to me was you know, when I was growing up, sort of the quintessential female songwriter was Joni Mitchell. A lot of you would see as you if you walk down the halls, you'd see. I mean, I wasn't going to Footlights then, but metaphorically, if you walk down mm-hmm. the hall, you'd see it when you went to open mics or whatnot. All the gals wanted to be Joni Mitchell. And then, you know, years later, all the gals wanted to be Ani DeFranco. And now I was walking <laughs> through the halls and all the gals wanted to be Kimmy Dawson. It, <laughs> it, it, I hadn't really seen how influential that though they were, the, you know, the, but Kimmy, Kimmy sort of took the torch, I guess, from Ani or, or whatever. But it definitely shifted from that open tuning kind of, you know. Uh, trying to be a little more uh, virtuosic on the acoustic guitar. Kim is very primal and very, you know, she makes no bones about the fact that I guess amateurish and, and sort of cutesy and, the, and cutesy in that way. Yeah. It's kind of punk rock in a little bit. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Whereas Ani was punk, you know, I mean, she yeah, was, that's she, true too. Yeah. she was more like Fugazi punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah, I think that one great thing that Kimia's sort of sound did is helped like 
for me, I hadn't really thought of like how punk could be defined as so many different sounds. But yeah. It's an attitude, you, you know. It is it's an exactly. Attitude. Take no shit. I'm going to take no shit. And it, it is a again, as a, you know, African American woman that wasn't you know obsessed with body type because they think these things matter. I, I, very punk rock, and it's fuck you, you know. I'm I got something to say, and I'm not going to adhere to your you know model of what's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, I don't know how much more time you have, Ed. I want to be respectful of your time or if you're getting tired. Um, yeah, we can sort of wrap it up a little coda or synopsis or whatever. I, my son is here where I think we're going to watch a oh. film. He's a film, film major. I think he's got a hi Detroit. Some, <laughs> in the other room but i'll tell him you said hi he'll remember you he'll remember you. well he lent me his coat like a total gentleman you've definitely you know raised him right <laughs> that's right he and thought you were cold right it was cold i was cold i was freezing the merch table was set up right at the front door and it was november right. in syracuse I and forgot I that. was wearing a tank top and he had just gotten this wonderful coat that was so warm and went down to my feet because he's tall. And he was like, do you want to wear my coat? And I was like, yeah. And oh, I was wow. like, well, Yeah, I was he's like, a great, I mean, he really is a great, good talk about a lifesaver. I mean, literally for me, a great kid, oh. good friend, good Lord. Uh, that's cool. I forgot about that. He told me, I think he mentioned it. Yeah, you know, it was great. His- You're like up on stage, like, you know, cursing out the audience, and he's like, "Would well, do you need my coat?" And I was like, "This is wonderful. This is a great team." He could do if he played guitar. He could do the show. He know because he's been coming with me. He's seen hundreds of shows. He knows all the words. I mean, he comes up and does a couple tunes with me now. But nice, nice. We'll have to have him. Uh, we'll we'll have to have him on here one of these days once his his films that'd are. Be uh, that'd be great. You know, that'd yeah. be great. He'd be he'd be very interesting. He could tell you about college. I would love it. I'd love and, to and hear what, the, what a and what a the kids are thinking a, and, and a Gen Zer. Yeah, yeah. I would love to know about his experience starting college um, in the times of COVID. Oh, um, yeah, that's been kind of crazy. Of worms. As someone who works in I mean, maybe you do know if you have your finger on the pulse. I don't, but I mean, I get a lot of my um, insight to contemporary hip hop particularly that of which is political from him. I, uh, there's people uh, that I SoundCloud stuff and YouTube stuff that I would never, would never come into my world uh, were it not for him. So it's, you know, it's really, it's inspiring. Cause when I, I, I somebody had reached out to me from Akron, Ohio, was a writer and it was, I could tell it was an older white guy. And he was like, um, you know, there's no political music anymore, you know, and I, you know, I think he was going to talk to me about David Crosby or some shit. And I was like, no, there's plenty, you know, and, but, you know, you're looking in the wrong area, you know, you might want to talk to your grandkid, you know, so, I mean, if it weren't for him, but I wouldn't know either. I'm not trying to be uh, smug, but he, he really hips me to a lot of shit that I wouldn't know. So he could shoot the breeze with you about that. Yeah. He'd probably well, be a lot more fun than me, frankly. Hey, I've been having fun. This is the kind yeah. of conversation I love. You know, I like, I, I really, really like, 
Um, as far as just sort of the the bigger picture of like the music trajectory that we've been watching throughout this whole like political trajectory of the last 20 years, for example, and like how we've been able to evolve as, um, as political musicians, you know, well, for me, like I've, you know, I've not been playing music for that long, but as, as a political like thinker and writer and how we let it inform our art, it's like, if we're not constantly, um, <laughs> looking to the next generation for information and inspiration, like we're fucking up so hard. <laughs> we're like basically crawling up our own asses and dying there, which yeah, I don't yeah, ever yeah. want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, one thing I like kind of wrapping up with, and I know it's really, I appreciated your real perspective on a lot of things and even the areas where we maybe had some points of tension, but what are things that kind of give you hope and keep you going? You know, I really loved your idea of the gas station and sort of also as a space where people build connections with each other and find the others, as Tim Leary said. That's something that personally gives me a lot of hope. So I don't know if there's things that kind of keep you going in your art in the world writ large that make you hopeful? I, I, yes. I mean, exactly what you said. The community that I saw in the uh, conversation that was happening while we were streaming and, and the smaller one-on-one experiences that I have, you know, I, I think when I get back on the road and I'm able to socialize with people one-on-one or even at the merch table or whatever, because, you know, a lot of these people who may have started as, um, and I'm also cautious about using the word fans, but uh, that appreciated the music and my point of view. And then we ended up, you know, I see them, you know, 12 shows in a row. And then like my, I had a friend, Dave, he's passed away, unfortunately, but I had a friend, Dave, in Europe, Dave Riley, just an amazing guy. And now he's showing up at every show in Europe, you know. And and then eventually he's like, well, I could pick you up at the airport and drive you around. And then he became one of my dearest friends, you know, and and those relationships. And I don't know that. I mean, we talked about politics a little bit, but but we talked about music mostly. But but, you know, those relationships, I mean, that's the that's the those are the gems, the jewels of life. That's the richness. And, you know, that's not happening right now. So. Maybe the the darker, the uglier side of life is, you know, I'm a Libra. I need balance. Maybe that's maybe that's going a little stronger these days because I'm not able to. And this is probably good for me shooting the breeze with you guys because uh-huh. I'll okay. I'll leave here going no. Oh, yeah, my rising okay. sign is Libra. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I part of the reason I feel like we. I mean, part of the reason I enjoy doing this podcast is because we get to sort of get infusions of hope from different people doing awesome work out there that, you know, we aren't having a chance. Like, I would have loved to do Thanksgiving shows with you again, you know, last year. And I would have loved to go do a tour behind my new album that I just released and kind of threw out into the ether, you know, and Sarah would love to be going to shows, I'm sure. Like we've all, we all would love to be doing all these things, but like the places that, you know, I've been able to find hope are in just soaking up every other people's, you know, passion projects and other people's, you know, like little beams of light at the ends of their personal tunnels is like 
reconnecting with our shared our shared struggle has been huge for me. So cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's helpful to me <laughs> just now. Frankly, you're right. You're right. And I have to. I, I do the walks, you know. And I I do. I I I talk to myself out loud. If I and I, you know to think about all the things that I have to be grateful for. There's infinitely more than the negative. Infinitely more. I I but I say it out loud. You know. What do you you got some anxiety? You know. Like, let's talk about what you have to be grateful for. I know it sounds ridiculous. I Some guys stop me. You all right? I'm in the, you know, you're wearing sneaks in the snow. I'm like, I know I look like a homeless guy. <laughs> I have a home. <sighs> well, and, that, and that's, a, that's the thing, you know. It really, this is bringing all all back to to me, to a lot of us, like what, what we do have, um you know, walking around every day in Portland, I see people sleeping on the streets in tents or not in tents and, you know, or just people struggling. And like the, the great human struggle is like deeply exposed right now. But also, I think so is like the human spirit to connect and thrive like the fact that we're sitting here looking at each other in little boxes on a screen and this is how we hang out now. It's like, it's weird, but it it's, but we're doing it, you know, yeah, we're not ignoring of, each other. It's really very miraculous. It's funny because there's a young lady that drives me around in Europe. She op- opens for me um, and she's excellent. But anyway, we talk on Facebook and, and man, it's crystal clear. I mean, it's, a, it's astonishing really. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy the way like things in technology almost get more miraculous. It's almost like the ugliness just gets more extreme too. Yeah, it's, it's the same. And it's like, right, it's the same. Yeah. Right. It's it. I I need Facebook. You know, I. Yeah. I used to talk about like YouTube. You know, you're you're in a Motel Six in Iowa or something, and you're like, hey, I don't know that much about you know. Billy Holiday, and, and uh, you know, it's like a speaking a library. You know, it's like a little library, and you're. Yeah, I you love know, it. I'm, I'm on YouTube, and two hours later, I've done nothing but watch Billy Holiday videos, and you know, it's it, extremely. It's a very positive educational tool when utilized in that way. You mm-hmm. know, um, and look at this. I mean, where are you located, uh, Sarah? I'm in Colorado. I'm still in Lions. Yeah. I mean, this is astonishing. Yeah. Really. This is astonishing. Yeah, we've done this whole project not ever being in person together. <laughs> no, it's great. From, from the beginning, messages on Facebook to to now, 21, 22 yeah. episodes later. So, yeah. yeah. And it, probably, I think, because of the pandemic, it's given us the opportunity to talk to a lot of people that maybe we wouldn't have had the opportunity to talk to because, you know, you can get anyone in on a Zoom call. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, and I and I, thank you know, you. I'm honored yeah, that you, thank you. Asked and, and uh, good luck with uh, future projects. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Where can people find you, you if you wish to be found? We can link to your website, but if there's anything else you yeah, want to promote um, yeah, or talk about, that's that's hamiltrial.org. O-R-G. But I mean, Facebook is mostly. I believe, believe it or not, that's where. I mean, I do. There's Instagram. Most of the art, the paintings. Mm-hmm. My Instagram is Hamel TV. H A M one M E L L T is in Tom V is at Victor. 
Um, and you can see all the paintings and stuff. And then uh, the website. But I'm on Facebook, both as Edward Hamill and Hamill on Trial. And I'm on there a lot. I mean, the promoting shows and, and live stream stuff. You can, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking about doing another one uh, later in maybe this month or the beginning of April. I haven't done one since Christmas, so. Yeah. Cool. Well, keep us posted and we'll, um, you know, we'll share with our, where our illustrious dozens. Um, of listeners. So Joy, did, did, did the last episode, you might've been Emily. Yes. So uh, since let's just say it, about that, just, actually. Let, let's just do it real quick because yeah, um, I might as well. I, we were, I was going to say Sarah and I will just talk about it in our follow-up conversation, but yeah. So, um, you know, you, when your marriage ended, you wrote a bunch of songs and so did I, but I'm also changing my whole entire name because I, I realized like I could just drop my ex-husband's last name because I don't want to have the name of anybody who physically or financially harmed me or psychologically for that matter. Um, but I decided to also um, drop my first name for a couple of reasons and go by my middle name, Joy. Um, because I, it's, first of all, it's been my middle name forever. And, uh, Second of all, when I was growing up, I was regularly told by my parents that they stopped calling me Emmy Joy when I was around three years old because you just turned into an angry kid, you know? And mm -hmm. I kind of accepted that narrative for a long, long time. And then finally, like very recently, I was like, you know, kids don't actually just turn angry. And I actually really prefer that name. And my first name comes from my grandmother who, my surviving grandmother who happens to be a supporter of the person whose name we will not say on this podcast. <laughs> and um, I mean, we bleep well, it we out, already actually, did say usually. it. <laughs> we did say it a couple of times. But yeah, and so I was named after her and her and my mom don't even get, get along. And so I was like, you know, I feel like something kind of went askew in my life when I started being called by the name of someone my mom doesn't like instead of by, you know, a, a name that literally brings joy to the world. That's cool. <laughs> I know? think so I, was I was saying like, to you because I've had friends that have changed their names and a year from now, I'll be, I, I won't even remember the name Emily. Right. I'll always, Good. I'll yeah, always that's what think I'm of it's funny how it works, but I, yeah. you know, I have a friend, Liza, and I remember she, when she initially changed her name, I, right, I don't even remember, right, this, it's the truth, it's because I can't, I can't remember what her name was, but I, I, I think it, initially when she changed it, I was like, how am I ever going to get used to it? Now I can't even remember what the hell her name was, so it'll be the same with you, you know? Just like we've normalized COVID, like people will normalize calling me Joy. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, Joy Damiani. It's a cool name. Damiani. <laughs> Damiani. It's Damiani. And I'll tell you, Damiani, the reason I uh, have gone back to Damiani instead of to the name that my great-grandfather anglicized Damiani to is because, um, you know, I just I felt like it's part of taking back the family heritage and acknowledging that this nation that we live in has always been racist as fuck to the extent that the Italians who came here had yeah, to change yeah. their name. And, and the you know, my great grandfather, Giovanni Damiani, turned into John Daniel. And, you know, that's who I grew up 
with and I should you know so I'm I'm kind of returning to my roots and also trying to give give tribute and give respect yeah. to the people who had to change their names for um protection for survival yeah. in yeah. my family. Yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. thanks well, for asking. <laughs> we yeah, were gonna yeah. talk about that after and now we don't need to. So fuck yeah. 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 <laughs> Way to be Syracuse about it and get direct to the point. Right. <laughs> So. Well, again, thanks very much. Stay safe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, anytime you need me to kick in, I'm here. And, uh, you know, think about doing it with my son sometime. And uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was great shooting the breeze with you guys. And, yeah. and best of luck. Yeah, you, you too. You and Detroit give each other hugs for me. And uh, yeah. and we'd love to have you both and individually back on any, any old time. Mm, both of you oh. would be fun, actually, together. So. Yeah, father's father son team. Bye, bye Sarah. Bye, Joy. Bye. Ah, <laughs> thanks, Ed. Uh, bye, that Ed. fills my heart with joy when you say it. <laughs> cool. Uh, All right. See you. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. bye. Word was she came from Tucson. She killed a man and had to get away. She traveled light and ended up in Houston. She killed another man, knew she couldn't stay. Needless to say, she was easily aggravated. Her BS threshold was lower than their IQ. Never in her years had she seen such ignorance. Hence, there wasn't anything she wouldn't do. Some are quiet, they seek mild protest. Some are tougher, maybe vocal resistancing. She had never been one for half measures. She was just practicing her own social distancing. You best be wary of the smart ones. Can hold them down only for so long. The hearts can fall apart when they start with the guns. Ain't it a toxic cocktail if they're strong? So well, she ended up in Boston. Five more men ended up buried and dead. Someone foolishly inquired how they lost them. Her response? It was something that they said. Some are quiet. They seek mild protest. Some are tougher, maybe vocal, resistancing. She had never been one for half measures. She was just practicing her own social distancing. She wasn't looking for trouble, nor was she proactive. She was a good-looking gal, and that could be a curse. To give just one example that ended up in bloodshed happened in Detroit on January the 1st. She was minding her own business, admittedly hungover from last evening, getting coffee at her favorite diner, Flurry Reds. A gentleman took a stool next to her, introduced himself, said he was Miami Fred. Fred went on to boast of his many accomplishments, a fleet of cars, his bank account, the movies he produced. There are some that say it was entrapment because of how intently she pretended to be seduced. Wouldn't you know around the corner was his studio? With that face, he said, you're bound to be a star. We could do a screen test and see if the camera loves you. See if you're ready, although I'm certain that you are. Maybe, sir, but you won't try anything funny. My mama told me to strangers I shouldn't talk. 
Oh no, this is strictly on the level, and if not, God strike me as we walk. For a millionaire, the studio seemed shabby. Dark, was that a whip? Weren't those chains? He said, there is nothing to fear here, dear. This is for art. Where is your culture and your brains? But looks and brains weren't the only thing in her possession. In her purse, she had a trusty thirty-eight. When Fred said, would you mind taking your clothes off? Could he see in her eyes a look of hate? She said, sure, smiled, turned around. He said something to her about posing, could she spread? Of course, that was the last thing that Fred said, because two bullets were fed into Fred's head. Some felt that was an extreme measure. Seemed too bloody a solution. But she vowed she would take no more disrespect in. As a matter of fact, that was her New Year's resolution. Some are quiet and they seek mild protest. Some are tougher, maybe physical insistencing. She's never been one for half measure. She was just practicing her own social distancing. So yeah, what the anti-folks did we learn from Ed? <laughs> what the anti-folk indeed. We never even talked about what the folk does anti-folk mean. How many more folks can we get into this folkery? Folk, 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 folk it all. Folk um, it all. Anti-folk um, is an awesome uh, genre as far as I'm concerned. I am in awe of the fact that we can just take folk and add the word anti and it makes so much more sense to what Ed does and what kind of what I do also. But um just the sort of, you know, we're just going to say what needs to be said, whether or not it <laughs> makes the people join hands and sway and sing kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah. I always, um, for me, again, this is my like former music writer perspective on it. I always thought of anti-folk as kind of like the punk rock of folk in a way, which I know Ed and I talked a little bit about punk a couple times during the interview, but that was always kind of my perspective on it was it was almost more of like an aesthetic and like an attitude than necessarily like a certain, um, you know, style of playing or something, although that does factor into it as well. So I don't know, would you kind of say that as well from your perspective as a folk musician? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I also fall under the category of anti-folk in many ways when you think about it that way. And like when I first started, I called myself like folk punk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I don't feel like a folk artist and I don't feel like you know, even though Ed is writing songs that are extremely relevant to the folks, you know, part, you know, obviously one of the main reasons I wanted to have him on the pod, um, he's falling into the category of, you know, bold faced truth teller. And, um, that is super fucking punk, whether, whether you're pounding a guitar or like daintily plucking an ukulele. And I love that his his whole aesthetic. Totally. And I think that, yeah, especially as that, I mean, now genres are kind of such a almost anachronistic <laughs> thing to talk about musical genres because everything is so fluid right now. But yeah, I do kind of think of like, I think of like Chuck Reagan and like, I think like hot water music and some things like that, that are kind of like had their roots in punk rock and then went more to like an acoustic, but very like rough mm-hmm. acoustic in your face style like- that- yeah. So, yeah, exactly. My favorite kind of artists are the ones who are being true to their art however it comes out of them 
And sometimes that translates to banging guitars and sometimes that um, translates to a gentle strum coming out of the same person, you know, like... I love Jonathan Richmond, for example, who, you know, started out in a much more like typical, like kind of punk aesthetic that we think of and then, you know, became much more of an acoustic um, or became an acoustic artist. But just the fact of like saying I'm not going to conform to whatever genre you think I should conform to is punk, whatever can be the most authentic is usually what I'm drawn to. Yeah, me too, just as a listener and as a music fan and as a writer, like the folks that I would want to interview. I, I'm almost like, I listen to a wide variety of music genre-wise, but I, authenticity is not something you can be taught, especially having covered like, it's not really something you can fake, especially having covered like a couple South by Southwest um, for jam bass. I, you know, I, that was, I mean, I, there's a lot you can say about South by Southwest, but at least like when I was going, like it was an opportunity to see like a shit ton of bands in like a very concentrated space. And that was almost like the first thing I could pick up on from like the first few notes they played or like, are these people being authentic or are they trying to do be an on trend? Are they trying to be something they're not? Are they trying to be like cool to fit in a certain box to get attention? And that to me was like the biggest deciding factor if I liked a band or not or would give them a positive review for their show. It wasn't even like the music they were playing necessarily. It was just like, do I feel like this is coming from something real inside of you? Do you really love synth pop? Then yes, I like your synth pop band. Do you really like like hardcore? Then yeah, if if. Like the answer though feels like you're putting on a costume and an affectation, then I'm mm-hmm. not gonna feel it. Like, I just I think people oh should God, create yeah. from an authentic place. So, I completely agree. That's what resonates with me, and that's why you know Ed's work and his music has resonated with me since I first heard it. And I was like, oh my God! Like this, this guy is just like being absolutely nothing but exactly who the fuck he is. And um, that is so refreshing in this life right now, Um, especially when like being who the fuck he is, is actually like in line with my core values and and all that. And um, for the most part, yeah. And you really can feel it in the room when um, a band or an artist is trying to be something they're not. I, you know, like I felt that. With, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into, actually, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to talk shit on anybody's band, but I've definitely been in the room with bands that are trying, that they're putting on an effect and all it makes you want to do is leave. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) About South by Southwest, I could just go next door and see another 20 million bands. So, Yeah. Well, in these days, like the internet is South by Southwest in in many ways in that we can just click away and find something else if we want to. And, um, you know, it makes it even more impressive when people are able to have staying power. Yeah. Um, Like Ed has. Yeah. And also, Oh, so the, and the other thing that he does, which I love so much, I want to make sure that we talk about, because we didn't have a chance to ask him because we got so involved in just talking shit about everything. (laughs) Um, it was about his paintings and how he has, has, um, created this whole other, uh, line of work for himself 
which is, you know, not only painting portraits, but uh, of iconic uh, performers and humans in general, but, um, you know, other other um, pieces of work that he's done, you can see on his website. We will link to that. Um, I think it's, it's yet like another reflection. It just shows how people's authenticity is going to come out of them, however um, they let it. So you can you can feel the same aesthetic in the paintings as you can in the songs. And yeah, and again, they're kind of that like simple and stripped down. They're almost like 2D, but there's a lot of movement and color in the figures. So it's just a really, yeah, it's a really interesting, it's going to sound like a pretentious art critic, just a really interesting juxtaposition of color and form and movement and, and boobs. <laughs> Sometimes lots of yeah. boobs. <laughs> color, form, movement, and boobs. That's art. I mean, that's why art is. That's what art is. <laughs> I feel like most of the most of the fine art that was generated in life was just because a bunch of men wanted to paint boobs. I'm okay with it, though. I like boobs, too. Me, too. I'm all about it. More yeah. Boobs. <laughs> more boobs, less bombs. Yeah, more boobs, less bombs, which also brings us to... <laughs> <laughs> yes, the other thing that is, which we didn't talk about with Ed, but we uh, included his song Values because uh, next week is the 18th anniversary of the shock and awe bombing campaign um, of Iraq, the uh, the ostensible bombing for liberation and to get out the invisible weapons of mass destruction. And... Um, you know, Joe Biden was one of the uh, biggest cheerleaders of that war. And I think it's very interesting that 18 years later, he is now um, its commander in chief. And uh, and Ed's song is still fucking relevant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the foreign policy towards the Middle East is just more of the same. We can see that already with, you know, bombing in Syria and everything else it's almost like it doesn't even feel insightful to point it out anymore that's what's kind of sad it just feels like this fucking just bedrock on which our whole government is built and we don't want to see that but that's fucking how it is and it's so infuriating to me I just I don't know I don't know how anyone lived through the start of the Iraq war even my perspective as like a civilian anti-war activist and ever could have any questions about what our government is capable of. Like, they literally use 9-11 to justify invading a country and toppling its government. How you can yeah. live through something like that and look at that and then still be like, every few years, this is not who we are. It's like, um, I think you got pretty clearly that we're the kind of country that will invade another country just to make the vice president money. And we'll use yeah. the deaths of 3,000 Americans <laughs> to justify it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and that war began under, you know, the Republican administration. It has continued now under, this is the the third, fourth administration. This is now fourth. the fourth administration of the Iraq war. And if we can't look at just that as, you know, whether or not we're citizens in this nation, if we live in this nation and we can't look at the Iraq war as the biggest glaringest example of the fact that it literally does not matter who is in charge, we are going to be imperialists all the way. Um, then like, 
I, I don't know what clearer sign we're waiting for. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say just imperialists. I would say sociopaths. Like, yeah, our government is sociopathic and it's exporting all this money into the war machine. It takes away our, our own like ability to take care of our own people, too. So, like, we should all have a vested interest in it. But we don't for some reason. <laughs> I mean, it's like each administration gets progressively better at killing is basically what we've got. Yeah. Like Bush Bush did OK. Like he let 9-11 happen, you know. Uh, he started a couple of wars. All right. Um, you know, Obama did a whole lot of drone bombing, definitely like made life even harder for immigrants. Um, failed out the banks. Failed on health care. And, you know, and then we know what, you know, the last guy did. Um, so we don't need to um, necessarily say like half a million Mar- Americans dead of coronavirus, but let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, we're walking into this next administration, which has outright said it's not going to do Medicare for all. It's not going to provide a living wage. Um Nothing is going to fundamentally change, it says. So basically, like, the only thing all of these administrations are successful at is killing Americans. And, you know, other people, too, as um, the economic uh, benefit dictates. Yes. Well, (laughs) that's a positive note to end on, but... The thing that's giving me hope is that more and more people see it now. And we're building yes. sustainable systems that are making this shit obsolete, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's really, I mean, I know we kind of had a little bit of the back and forth with Ed, but I think that even those conversations can be fruitful ground for how you move forward if you can find those common ground and those sites of action outside of the usual discourse around who we should vote for, you know? Exactly. I think that there is actually a lot of hope in that. And there's a lot of hope in that there are people like Ed and, you know, the kind of uh, trail they've blazed through the artistic wilderness is now something a lot of folks are following, like you. So it's kind of cool. That was cool to kind of see that multi-generational aspect at play in the interview. And not just that you both were from Syracuse, but it almost kind of felt like, you know, a little bit of, I don't know if torch passing is the right word, but it was a cool kind of, um, you know, God, I don't have words. It was just cool. It was just cool. <laughs> Things. It was cool for me too. Also, like because you know, I'm always looking to to soak up the will, the wisdom of the more experienced people in my life, and um, you know, people like Ed and Ani DeFranco and Kimia Dawson, and you know, all of these people who are like so fiercely authentic and so fiercely like committed to making the art they make whether or not people hate on it or get it or not um they keep my fire fueled you know and I'm really really happy that we have this uh this chance to be able to just talk to all of them and and you know keep getting the gas like you know, talking to Ed, like, that gave me the the gas to get from point A to point B one day to the next, knowing knowing that there's, you know, another, you know, every musician, every, like, human I can talk to who's paying attention and doing amazing work and staying true to themselves. Um, like, the more of those people I can talk to, I feel like the better I get at being that and it feels so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here's to folks who are gas stations. <laughs> I raised my seltzer. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I'll raise my seltzer to your gas stationing. <laughs> Cheers to you, Joy Damiani. <laughs> Damiani. Say Damiani. I'm going to teach you how to pronounce it like an Italian. Damiani. You watch The Sopranos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a, yeah, my, my great-grandfather, Giovanni Damiani, is, uh, is looking down from wherever he lies in the ether saying, good job. <laughs> Next episodes are all about the show MASH, so anybody... Uh, who hasn't watched that show, y'all should get on it because you'll enjoy the next couple episodes even more. Woot. All right. With that note, we will leave you. We will leave you and we will give you Ed's awesome song, which is called Gonna, and you'll love it. And I fucking love You're it. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. The day is dawning. It's a beautiful morning. I do a little yawning. I rise and shine I get my coffee What's in the office? All of a sudden I'm coughing I'm definitely gonna die Yeah, this is the big one Dig my grave Say my goodbyes Cause I'm definitely gonna die I'm overreacting No need to start packing Let's get cracking I got work to do Got customers to please Gonna elicit some fees And then I sneeze I'm gonna die from the flu Locate my donor card Dig a hole out in the yard Start taping my goodbyes Cause I'm definitely gonna die It was probably just dust To clean around here I must A vacuum would be a plus But the vacuum is broke I order one online just as I'm feeling fine There's a sniffle and a whine And I know I'm gonna croak My life's fruition Speed dial the mortician No use for me to try Cause I'm definitely gonna die Now it comes to supper time I must admit I'm feeling fine I cook a meal of which to dine A glass of wine of which I pour Anticipate a pleasant night And then I take a little bite But something don't feel right my throat is sore. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I told you I'm gonna die. Finally, finally, I'm gonna die. Now it's time to go to bed. The day is messed with my head. I should watch TV instead, but I do not. On the pillow where I lay, think about the worried day. Anxiety won't go away, and now my head feels hot. I just believe here that it's a fever. I'm gonna die. The Grim Reaper. I'll never sleep here cause I'm gonna die Finally get to sleep In my dreams ghosts creep I pray my soul to keep My mirror image I warn it I rise again To a beautiful morning But on the legend lands A murder hornet I'm gonna die Finally, finally I'm gonna die Put on my gravestone I told you I'm gonna die Stay safe, friends. What the Folk is co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Thank you so much for joining us. Our guest has been Ed Hamill, also known as Hamill on Trial, and our featured songs of his have been Values, Social Distancing, and Ghana. 
the last two off of his most recent album called Pandemic Songs, which you can find in all the places where you find new music these days. Thank you, as always, once again for joining us. We will be back in your ear holes very soon. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and, you know, keep on doing the best you can, like we all are, because it's the apocalypse. Woo! We love you.